Amen. And thank you, Forsmans, and thank you, John, for sharing that. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, we're in Acts, chapter 27. Acts and chapter 27. Are you still watching the news? No. <laughs> wow. Wow. I hope, I hope you walk away this morning with a strong dose of courage. It's number one. I hope you, for the dark chaos that seems to be swirling around us, I hope you walk away this morning with a strong dose of courage. Whether that's for, the, for what's going on in the news, or whether that's for something that you are personally battling, I just have to believe that as, as things get worse for us as, as a nation, as things seem to be spiraling out of control, it seems like that's also true in our personal lives. We have personal battles that we're fighting. Or the interpersonal battles that you might be fighting with the people around you. I hope for each of those things, this morning you get a strong dose of courage. So let's see how God would have us Take courage this week from Acts chapter 27 for the storm that we're facing as people. And this map will be up there quite a few times. Paul has already gone from Jerusalem, which is down there in the south, to Caesarea. And he appeals to Caesar, and so to Caesar he goes. So here we are in Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion I see that I am not on the screen. All this time I thought I was on the screen. Um, nope, that's in the right thing. Looks like we're gonna, it looks like it's coming around here. You're going to want, you, you're hoping, there we go. I, all right. What storm are you going through? <laughs> There's strength and courage for you in this chapter. They delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. I believe Paul names Julius because Julius is one of his sources that his contemporaries can go and check with to make sure what Luke is writing is true. And embarking in a ship of the Adoramptium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And we sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, and we came to Myra in Lycia. And there's a centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And the wind did not allow us to go further. We sailed under the lee of Crete, off Salome, that's part of Crete, 
coasting along with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. In the ESV, there's a footnote. That is the Day of Atonement. That is October 5th in AD 59. It is winter there, and the seas are dangerous. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Guys, this is really, really scary. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. I think sailing with Paul would be like going through an airport with Kent. Kent knows what he's doing in the airport. Sailing with Paul would be like that. Paul is giving advice to the owner of the ship and the pilot. And we'll see what happens. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix. Phoenix was part of Crete. A harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And spend the winter there. And now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, look, everything's okay, we can make it. They weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. They're hoping to make it just a little ways along Crete. Then the wind comes up, whoosh, and now... We don't know where we're going. We're going out into the middle of the sea. It's dark and it's scary and we don't know where we're going. And running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat because it was flopping around. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Think cables running under the ship to keep it from falling apart. Then, fearing that they would run aground... On, uh, on the citrus, they lowered the gear. Think of um, sea anchors there in the footnote. And thus were driven along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. You don't bring extra stuff on a ship. On a ship, when you take, go on a ship, you bring what you absolutely need. Well, they absolutely need to, leave, to, to live, so they start throwing off, off the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Luke is just amazed. They're throwing their tools overboard with their own hands. It's scary when you're throwing your tools overboard. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay upon us. And all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Guys, we're all going to die. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, I told you so. <laughs> Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. Listen, I'm going to put that in yellow. You're going to see that a couple times in a couple different ways. Here's, this is what I wanted in the beginning. I said, I want you to have a strong dose of courage. Paul gets up. Winds are blowing. The ship is going up and down. Stuff is strapped down or thrown overboard. Yet I encourage you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, of to whom I worship and whom I belong. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. 
you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul had been praying for them. So God had granted them to him that they would live. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I'm taking God at his word. But we must run aground on some island. And the 14th night, two long, bad, stormy weeks, the 14th night had come, and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land because they could hear it crashing, hear the waves crashing on the shore. They took soundings and found that 20 fathoms, and a little farther they took some soundings again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. It's dark and it's scary and the boat's coming apart. And the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. It ain't good when the sailors are trying to escape from the ship. It'd be like if you're flying in an airplane and the pilot gets his parachute on and jumps out. And you're like, oh no. So these guys that want to escape, they'd lower the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Like get it away from the, get the anchor away from the boat so it won't damage the boat. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the rope so the ship's boat and let it go. Well, I guess we don't need that. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense. Like you're in suspense. You've been bracing yourselves for two weeks. You've been so nervous you haven't been able to eat for two weeks. You've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Give thanks. Give thanks and eat while you're in the storm. And they were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Giving thanks and then being encouraged. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. There are people in Rome probably counting on that, on that wheat. But you know what? The wheat's not going to make it if the ship sinks, so they're throwing out the wheat. Now when it was day, they had recognized the land. They had noticed the bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. It is do or die. It is now or never. Here we go. They cut the anchors loose. I've been told that, actually I read that some archaeologists have found anchor, 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 shipwreck. Like, this is the last thing you let go of. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. And at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. We're making for the beach, boys. We're going to get as close as we can. It is do or die. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, that's how it would go, isn't it? Going really fast and then... Bam! And everyone goes flying forward as they hit this reef. They ran the vessel aground, and the bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. 
But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest of the planks ran pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And, and we'll find out in the next verse that this is Malta. Though they had no idea where they were going, they just gave themselves up for the wind off Crete. They, they thought they might run into Africa for all they knew. They had no idea. They couldn't see the sun or the stars. God had blown them right towards their destination. After they were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. And the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. He's just come through this terrible, terrible two-week storm. They crawl up onto the land. There's a fire. Oh, thank you, a fire. Gathers some sticks, throws them on the fire, and gets bit by a snake. That's how life goes sometimes, isn't it? Bit by a snake. If I've ever read the Bible at all, I know, I know that's a metaphor for something. Bit by a snake. Which snake do you, what's the most famous snake in the Bible? That's right, Asher. Satan, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, gets bit by a snake. Somebody didn't want him to get to Rome. And so after this storm, after the storm had tried to drown him, he comes up, gets bit by a snake. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. He's going to get what's coming to him one way or another. Though he has just escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He's going to die. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Now, some people, you know, the modern, sophisticated commentators are like, well, maybe it wasn't a poisonous snake. All the native people saw the snake and they said, he's going to die. It was a poisonous snake. They knew what happened when you get by, by those kind of snakes. But when they said, waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. And now the neighborhood of that place were the lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publis, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publis lay sick with a fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. When we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. And after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered on the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. And putting it at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petoli. And we found brothers. Hey, Look at me. The gospel beat Paul to Rome. There were Romans there at the day of Pentecost, all the way back in Acts chapter 2. God was already there. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God. 
and took courage. What can we learn from this text? You know, that's what all the commentators said. You are highly educated. You deserve a PhD. That is it. You know what? God is bigger than the sea. The dark chaos that swirls around us. God can save us. He does save us from the dark sea. He will get us safely to heaven no matter what stands in front of us. Now let's talk about the sea just for a second here. And what the sea meant in the ancient world. So John Stott writes that the sea was reminiscent of the primeval chaos and was a regular Old Testament symbol of evil powers in opposition to God. So when they look down, in the ancient world, you look down, you look over the edge of the boat, if you're brave enough to go out in a boat, and you see the darkness and the chaos down there, people thought, that's something evil. And they didn't have planet Earth, you know, with cameras underwater to show you the natural beauty under there. You just look down there and say, that is scary and out of control. And it stood for the evil powers. So in Daniel, when the beasts come out of the sea, you're not surprised because where else would the beasts come from? Or in Revelation chapter 21, when it says there will be no more sea, it's not because God is against beaches or or water. It's because there's no more dark chaos. And this is the point that I'm trying to make, that God saves us from the dark chaos of life, the chaos that seemed to swirl around us and terrify us and kill us. God saves us from that and brings us safely home to heaven. So when you, when you are tempted to get overwhelmed by all the conflict around how to handle this virus, God saves us from the dark chaos of life. When you're tempted to be overwhelmed by the contested election and all the controversy and all the, all the stuff that goes with that, God will bring us safely home. The dark chaos will not win. When you're tempted to get overwhelmed by all the controversy that's going to come with the vaccine and all the, all the stuff that that's going to stir up and the distribution of the vaccine and all the stuff that's still coming. Listen, it's going to be a bumpy road for the next couple months. It's going to be a bumpy road. The dark powers will not win because God created the sea. He made all of it and he is completely in charge. And history is going where he wants it to go, and he will bring us safely home. Take courage, church. Okay, number one, God saves us from the sea. Paul drags himself up out of the sea, goes up, there's a fire burning, he grabs some sticks, he throws the sticks on there, and he gets bit by... Boy, it sure looks like Satan himself. You know, the, the ancient serpent... He gets bit by a snake who's trying to thwart God's purposes. But God's not afraid of Satan. Satan can't thwart God's purposes. Satan's on God's leash. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. You know, it's kind of like when you come through a really hard season and you're like, okay, okay, I, I made it, I made it. 
And you crawl up on shore, and you're like, okay, I need a break, I need a break. And then all of a sudden, these terrible, self-defeating, self-destructive thoughts come crashing into your mind. Is that Satan, or is that just your sin nature? I don't know, but I know that the one that is in me, 1 John 4, 4, is greater than him that is in the world. Whether that's, whether that's my flesh or whether that's Satan, I know that the Holy Spirit is greater and he is in me than the self-destructive thoughts that might come into my, into my head. When you crawl up through a hard sea, you come through a long hard season, you crawl up on shore, you finally made it, and then this soul-destroying temptation comes into your mind. Is that Satan or is that just you? I don't know, but I know we have an enemy. I know one of those enemies is Satan. I know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do not fear him. Take courage. Be aware. But put your faith and your hope in Christ. Okay? So God saves us from the sea. God saves us from the snake. And, and I can't help but think, I can't help but think now, how did, Paul, how did Paul get in custody in the first place? You remember? Those of you who have been with us for a while, how did Paul, how did, how did he get in under the care of Rome in the first place? You, you can say it. Yeah, he's arrested because there was a riot with people trying to kill him. You know, so he's arrested. And, and then once, once he's arrested because he's, they were trying to kill him, so he's the one that gets arrested. Remember there was a plot against him? And they say, we're not going to eat or drink until that dude's dead. Here he is in Rome. Their plots, their hate, it didn't amount to anything. See, God, God can, he saves us from people. He saves us from the sea, he saves us from the snake, and he saves us from people. There was people that hated Paul. They were really trying to kill Paul. But people can't thwart God's purposes. They can't. Sometimes we're so afraid of them, but they, they can't thwart God's purposes. Their hate. Psalm 2 tells us that God laughs at them. He's not afraid of them. Or think of the Romans who are in charge. They, they knew Paul was innocent and they kept him in custody again and again because they were either afraid or incompetent or corrupt. Sometimes the people that we have the most, the, the hardest time with are people that hate us. Other times it's the people that are afraid or incompetent or corrupt. God saves us from people. He saves us even from ruthless people. Think of the Romans who are like, okay, we're trapped. We're all going to kill, this, we gotta kill the uh, prisoners and they're going to kill them all. He saves us from people that hate us. He saves us from people that are afraid and corrupt and incompetent. And he saves us from ruthless people. God will bring us safely home. So take courage. Take courage. So here's, here's what we should do. Here's what we should do. I'd, I'd like you, you don't have to do all three of these, but I'd like you to pick one. The first one is I'd like you to trust God to save you. This is what the Apostle Paul said when he was in the terrible storm, when he stands up and gives courage to the sailors. He stood, stood up and said, Take heart, men, for I have placed my faith in God. Put your faith in God. Now here's why. 
It's because he made the sea. It's because he made the dark chaos. And it's because he's good and he's loving. Remember when, Jesus, when the, some people asked Jesus for a sign. And Jesus said, the only, you're going to get a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Where he offered himself up to the sea. He went down into the sea and then came out triumphant on the third day. That's who you're trusting. The one who made the sea and conquered the sea. The dark chaos of life. You're trusting the one who allowed his heel to be bit by the snake so that he could crush its head. On the cross and in the resurrection, he conquered sin, conquered Satan, so that we read in Colossians 2 that he makes a mockery of them as he points at the cross. He went into the sea. He was bit by the snake. And the, he, he allowed the plots of men to work for his good ends so that he could conquer sin and death and free us from our sins this is who you're trusting so you might pray god i am facing which which storm are you facing right now how is the snake whispering to you right now how are people plotting against you right now you might pray, God, help me trust you as I face. So what, what should we do? Well, we should trust God to bring us safely home. What should we do? We, th we should thank God while we're still in the storm. So in Acts chapter 27, if you're looking at verse 35, 27 verse 35, as things are dark and scary and they've thrown a bunch of important, valuable stuff in the sea because things are so dark and so scary, verse 35, and when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat and they were all encouraged. Thanking God for what you have lends itself to taking courage. You see Paul do this again in chapter 28, verse 15. And the brothers were there, and they heard about us, and they came from Appius and the three taverns, and on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. There's always something you can give thanks for. There's always something. Even if it's bread, you can give thanks for that. Find something to give thanks for. This is worship. This is what you were born for. And finally, this is where we started. Finally, take courage. Take courage in the one who conquers the sea, who has the snake on the leash, who redeems the plots of men for good, Take courage for mission. You might pray, God, give me courage too. Notice, notice Paul, when, when they're in Acts chapter 27 there, he's telling them take courage and keep sailing. 
And there may be some of you, you just need courage to go back to work tomorrow. Like that's the courage. Do a good job at work tomorrow. Take courage for that. Take courage to be a good mom again this next week. Take courage to be a good husband a good again next week for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Take courage to take care of your parents again this week to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Take courage and do the work that God has put in front of you to the glory of God in Jesus' name. And maybe that you know that God has laid someone on your heart that you would talk to. Take courage and talk to them to the glory of God in Jesus' name. This is what I want for you, that you would be able to take courage knowing that God will bring you safely home. That you'll be able to be a thankful people knowing that God is in charge, knowing that God is moving history towards a good end, worshiping God by giving thanks. You'd be a confident people with your faith fully in Christ. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time we can spend in your word this morning. Lord, pull us close to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.